Star Wars Action News is brought to you in part by Dorkside Toys. At DorksideToys.com, you can get the latest Star Wars toys, as well as Marvel, G.I. Joe, The Walking Dead, and more. Run by toy fans, you can be assured your order will be given great attention and packed with care. Sign up to their social channels now for stock alerts, reviews, and toy and movie news. DorksideToys.com. You'd be a dork not to shop there. Welcome to Star Wars Action News, your source for Star Wars collecting news, reviews, and convention coverage, hosted by Marjorie and Arnie. Helping Star Wars collectors collect better. Be sure to check out our website at SWActionNews.com, where you can see photos of the items discussed, chat with other listeners, find links to our Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube pages, support our Podbean crowdfunding campaign, and much more. Star Wars Action News, covering the whole galaxy of Star Wars toys. Hello and welcome to a very special edition of Star Wars Action News. This is Marjorie. And this is Arnie. And Star Wars fans seem to be ready to go rogue. All the Rogue One stuff that was starting to be revealed in the 1st of September. Bit confusing in the way they've released it, but some of it is up for pre-order right now. The first wave of Rogue One 6-inch Black Series. You can see those out there. Kind of a frustrating case with the carry forwards. But Jin Erso is the single figure showing up most. She's available for pre-order right now from our sponsor, Dorkside Toys. You can also see their listings of the entire wave. Unmasked Kylo Ren, Jin Erso, Captain Cassian Andor, K2SO, and the Death Trooper. I think those are going to be quite popular. Yeah, the Death Trooper is the one that I feel people will be troop building, but... If The Force Awakens is any indication, they'll ship in Wave 2 and in Wave 3, and so you should be able to eventually find them, if not have them peg warm. <laughs> but we'll see. Rogue One, the first anthology film. It's going to be a totally different beast, and it's going to be pretty much all we're going to be talking about on the next two Star Wars action news episodes. The ones coming out on the 19th, that would be just about a week and a half before the new toy release on September 30th. And then our show October 3rd, we'll have these things hands-on and be able to talk about them. But today, we've got a different type of show. Over the Labor Day weekend, Marjorie and I went to Washington, D.C. And it wasn't to lobby for better Chinese trade so that the cost of figures could come down. No, but could we have done that? I don't think we have a super PAC ready to fund that. That's true. We attended another international collector's event. This one was held in Virginia and Maryland. D.C. was kind of just a fun little side trip since it's right there. And we had an amazing time again. Yeah, they did this back in 2013 with the Sarlacc Collecting Club up in Seattle. Gus Lopez was christening his new extension of his collection, the Boba Cabana and we were able to see that as well as a lot of the collectors up there 
and people came literally from all over the world to see. Well, in the Washington, D.C. area, there's the D.C. Star Wars Collecting Club, or DCSWCC, and they're the ones who do those charity coins year after year, and it's another very large group of collectors, and they were hosting this time. Yeah, so that was really good because it was kind of like a traveling event where we all started out in an area in Virginia and had some events, and then we traveled on to the next stop, and each night was in a different town in Virginia and Maryland, culminating in Maryland and Chesapeake Bay and a beach party, which was a lot of fun. Yeah, and a lot of fun doesn't even do it justice because when you're there with just a handful. I mean, this isn't a convention. This isn't a public thing. This is a bunch of friends getting together to show their collections. And I feel honored to have been invited. But the fact that it's called ice, people were just constantly sending photos next to ice machines. and <laughs> Yeah, any place we could find the letters ice, we were taking photos. And it was a lot of fun. People were really getting into it. And one of the hotels was a Red Roof Inn that was infested with bed bugs. it turned out. So everybody except one couple canceled their reservation there. That one couple described it as trying to sleep with the lights on because of the cockroaches would come out when the lights were turned off. And so there were just a lot of bed bug jokes. And I mean, yes, you're getting to see really cool Star Wars collections, some of the best in the world. But... It's laughing, it's drinking, it's just hanging out with friends. And that is always the best part of any convention. And it's why we went to this get together. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it is a chance to see my friends outside of a convention, which is nice. I mean, I didn't have to lug around a heavy backpack. You know, yeah, some people were running events, but it was a social event. So you weren't having to set up like the AV stuff and make sure everything runs right. You open your doors and let people in and serve food and it's great. I can imagine it's a little stressful. I mean, the few times we've had people over to see our collection, there was one incident where things got a little weird because we didn't know the person who came over beforehand. We learned some very important lessons early on. And I could see being a little nervous when you have your collection set up and you know if somebody bumps the wrong cabinet, if somebody trips, things like that. To quote Phantom of the Opera, a disaster beyond your imagination will occur. <laughs> the chandelier crashing in Phantom is nothing compared to a cabinet full of gentle giant minibus and statues. But yeah, the people there did open their homes. And on the very first night, two of the organizers, Martin Thurn in Ashburn, Virginia, and Matt Fox, also in Ashburn, opened their houses up for the Early Bird Lounge, and Matt had the, what he called the Fox Fanfare kickoff party, which was great, because his name's Fox. Yeah, he just didn't pull that out of the air. And Marjorie, you talked to them a little bit later on in the event about that, and here's that interview. We are here with Martin and Matthew, and they are kind of the spearheaded leaders and organizers and hosts and everything of this event and why don't you guys introduce yourselves and websites podcasts collecting focus if you got any or anything else you want to say um i'm matt fox i'm the host of this week in star wars i have a collecting focus which is basically hasbro and kenner action figures and the associated vehicles 
And that's pretty much, if you came to my house, that's what you'd see. My name is Martin Thurn. I'm the president of the Washington, D.C. area Star Wars Collecting Club. And um, I collect uh, Star Wars vanity license plates and gift cards and Yoda stuff. So when did you guys start planning this? It's been so long ago I can barely remember, but it was probably about 20 months ago um, we really got serious about uh, deciding to do it and um, just snowballed from there basically. And you had people at your house and showed up your collection. What was that like? Did you have like last minute preps? Because everyone we've talked to has been like, I was doing this until people knocked on the door. My last minute prep was vacuuming and then checking the bathroom, which is one of the things I forgot to see, make sure it was clean. <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone goes through that, that when you have, you know, people come over to see your collection or anything like that, there's like this frantic and then there's one thing. And it, that's, uh, we're all human, I think, is what it boils down to. And, and someone, Michael was putting stuff, he said, on display until 6 a.m. that morning, and that was this cutoff. And, I, I mean, I've been there. I know what it's like. So, yeah, did you see, you've seen these collections all before, correct? Um, I've seen all except Hector's and Jeff's, actually. Now, Matt, you hosted one of the parties, and the first party. So was that a lot of pressure on you to, like, throw off the second kickoff event because martin had the like welcoming lounge and you had the first party what was that like yeah martin had the pre-party and i had the the so-called kickoff event um i do not think it was added pressure in the end i thought it was less pressure because i had no no one was going to compare me to anything else now i may have suffered in comparison later on when you see great collections like bill mcbride's and jonathan McElwain's stuff and then here tonight but um yeah, it was I, my attitude and what I kept telling my wife was that people are just going to be happy to see each other at our thing and it'll be, it'll be the reunion event and what I have on display, as long as it's not unsightly, is going to be of less importance. But your stuff was awesome. We walked in and we're like, holy crap. I mean, it was really great. I loved your figures on the wall and I loved how you had the big like diorama in the middle. And I was really nervous the whole evening actually kind of like standing around it because I'm like, oh gosh, I don't want to knock anything over because I know how hard it is to do that stuff. And did anything get knocked over? Was there any problem or anything like that? Because I kind of expect that when I have people at my house that something's going to take a fall. If you expect it, you aren't heartbroken later is how I look at it. I'm happy to report that the only casualty had we had was an ATSC on my Hoth diorama, and I did it. Oh, I'm, I'm the one that bumped up against it and knocked it over, so you know nobody got punished or yeah. sent to the shame circle. <laughs> and uh, again, then later on in the evening, I think we had a six-inch figure fall over, which again I admit was you know responsible for, or at least around when it happened. So, um, but I mean, thank you for the nice things about my collection. I, it's. When you collect carded things, you're thankful when you live in a house that's big enough that allows you to display them. I have lived in other places where I was not and had to put them in storage, which is a whole other adventure in itself. But you know, it, it, I have a nice space that allows me to put out a nice, nice stuff, and I'm glad people got to see it. So have you guys done anything? What's, what's been the highlight of the weekend for you? Um, the highlight of mine was saying goodbye to my last guest and uh, <laughs> getting off the hook. Um, but... No, I really enjoyed hosting the event. It was a lot of fun and getting, you know, it, it, it was after collecting as many years as I have and then putting the amount of time that I've put into, into this house. Um, I know the people in the local club have seen it, so I have been able to share it with some people. But to be able to share it with, you know, important in the hobby people like this, uh, you know, was 
you know, sort of a culmination of a lot of things. Uh, but really the highlight was to see a lot of, uh, like Martin was saying, there's been a couple members who just finished, you know, used this event as an incentive to complete their collections. And so people who I've known for years and known they were collecting, finally getting to see how they were displaying their stuff and then getting ideas. Arnie and I were discussing at Tom's this morning, you know, some of the ways he has his displays out and sort of a chronological you know, story of the movie and he's got nice paint backdrops that don't overwhelm anything. I mean, people are really creative and it's just nice to see that. Yeah, and it's kind of nice seeing the collections of people I've met at like conventions and the internet and because we don't always visit everyone's home so it's kind of nice to like see your stuff and putting the collection with the face so to speak you know what's been the highlight of your weekend well the highlight of my weekend was around sunday evening when people started giving me feedback and they were very happy with how everything had been turning out that was that's kind of my uh, pressure for the weekend is 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 worrying about how everything's running and make sure everybody's having a good time to be honest i will say the directions and everything in the document created was like spot on and amazing and the only thing that happened was that the link was taken down as we were pulling on this road i'm like i don't know where to park it's expired now so i'm like okay now i don't know where to park where am i going to get towed or what so i was a little nervous about that but everything else was like it was perfect i mean where to park where the addresses were gps and ways it was fantastic so i think we'll end on that note thank you because of a swag snag, we didn't get to see Martin Thurn's collection, but we started off at Matt's and what an impressive collection he had. It's something that really clicked with me because it mirrors my own collecting a lot. He kind of joked with me that people were over there going, where's the vintage? Because a lot of these hardcore longtime collectors focus pretty much only on vintage. We saw a lot of collections that had little to no modern toys in it. And I think Matt's collection with vintage is similar to mine. You collect the stuff, but you may not have everything carded. You may not be going for every card back of every figure. And he had a lot of modern figures. They lined the walls carded like we had done. And then he had massive dioramas set up, one that was probably eight feet by eight feet in the middle of the floor, just creating a giant battle of Hoth. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I was really nervous around everybody's collection, so because I was so afraid of knocking something down. So, yeah. You didn't. I know, but it's one of those things, you know. Somebody knocked over an ATST before we arrived, and I did ask because my Power of the Force 2 ATST, just over the years, the legs don't stand very well anymore. They get all loosey-goosey. It's like the plastic warped a little bit on all of my ones from 1995. So he said that, yeah, just kind of got knocked over, as he mentioned in the interview. But to see his display that also had sideshow premium formats and gentle giant mini busts and all this stuff, that was really my favorite part of seeing the collections is the artistry that went into the displays. At this point, while there were some very cool collectibles and prototypes that I would never have a chance to see otherwise. Getting to see how people put their stuff out and what they choose to make the focus when you come in. The fact that every one of these people has a museum in their house and they're their own curators. They're creating a flow. They're creating clustering. Each area is an exhibit. And you don't think about that when you're doing your collection, but that is really what 
all these people have done marvelously. And Matt's use of the cards on the wall and the dioramas and the big empty space and then having the statues. And he has a lot of sideshow collectibles, full-scale busts also, which is an area I never went into collecting. But the way he had it all laid out had an amazing flow. Yeah, I found it really fascinating to see what kind of shelving, bookcases, whatever that people would use to display their items, how they did the lighting, how they grouped them. I found that just as fun to look at as their collections because some people are really creative. And a lot of times if you look at something, you're like, okay, you know what? I don't want to copy their design, but you know what? This would work for me if I did this, this, and this. And it's like a springboard Mm -hmm. for what you can do in your own house. And I mean, that's what Pinterest is for and things like that. So it's really the same thing. But it is nice to see how other people do it. Yeah, you wouldn't want to duplicate somebody else's display because nobody collects exactly what you collect in the quantity that you have, be it bigger or smaller. And the houses aren't cookie cutter. But to see these things and get the ideas for the shelving he had, and it flowed through several rooms down there, it was just a great display, and thanks for having us over, Matt. But that kicked off on Friday night, and this event went through Labor Day, so Saturday, Sunday, and Monday were the big days where we did what's called the Kessel Run, where you go from collection to collection, and they were kind of spread out. There was a lot of driving involved to get to all the locations, and we did miss a couple just because you spend too long at one place and it throws off the ability to drive to the others. Mm -hmm. But the first one on Saturday was Hector Hilario. And I talked to Hector about his collection and getting ready for this event. Hi, um, Hector Hilario. I collect um, three and three quarter figures, uh, items from uh, around the world, places that I've been to, and uh, items from... uh, fan-made from people that go to the celebrations. My daughter, uh, Samantha, is a focus collector and she uh, collects R2-D2 and C-3PO items. Well, that's kind of awesome. So you've got two collectors in the house. And as I understand, your wife's going to start collecting soon. Is that right? Yeah, she just, uh, I guess, cut the bug. We've been together for about 20 years now. And um, about three months ago, I found a Jar Jar at a vintage store. And I thought she was playing when uh, she said, get that for me. <laughs> so That's awesome. Another Jar Jar collector. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> what, she, uh, that's what she said. She's, uh, she's up to two pieces now for this weekend. <laughs> That's awesome because that's that's my focus. So I think that's great. So you showed your collection. So what what did it take to get prepped to show everybody? I, I saw that you were burning the midnight oil for a while too. Yes, I think I got about 50, 55 minutes of sleep <laughs> the day before um, we had to uh, show it. Um, we um, we've been working on it um, during our downtime um, for a few months now. Wow. So what's been the highlight of the weekend for you so far? Um, meeting everybody and uh, getting all the uh, all the buttons, all the cool swag. Um, I, when I started collecting, it used to be all uh, anything that had the Star Wars name. Uh, but um, for a number of years and after being with the guys at the uh, DC Star Wars Collecting Club, uh, I've narrowed it to only three items. And one of those items is uh, items that other people make. 
But that's really awesome, though, because there's a lot of great fan-made things. Um, Amy, one of the attendees here, has an Etsy store where she makes some amazing like purses and ornaments. Yeah, definitely. That's that's one of the things that I look for when, when I go overseas uh, at flea markets, uh, craft fairs, just uh, handmade items that, uh, that you don't necessarily find at the store and that are not mass-produced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's part of the fun, I think. And it's always fun to find things where you don't expect them. So are you looking forward to the next ICE event? Um, I am, definitely. Because <laughs> it's not at your house. Because <laughs> uh, I, I'll get to uh, enjoy it and not uh, have to uh, set everything up uh, <laughs> the day before. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Hector. Thank you. Hector is just a great guy. So fun to hang out with and so giving with the information on his collection. And his daughter was great, too, also a collector in her own right. Mm -hmm. And his wife is starting to collect Jar Jar stuff. So, hey, you know, might be biased. Next on the tour was Jeff's house. And he's a big Obi-Wan focus collector. And he plays the oboe. So it's Obi-Wan's hut. Get it? (laughs) Ha. He had a really impressive collection. He had the legendary scale Obi-Wan right when you walk in. It looked really good up on a pedestal instead of like on the floor where it looked like a creepy doll that was going to come after you and like wear your skin. This actually looked really good like that and kind of maybe almost maybe changed my mind on that line. Yeah, he had a really nice collection display as well. He had an entire sideshow 12-inch Jabba's palace diorama going on with the dais and all of that. And focus collectors, we saw quite a few of them as we went through and it really leads to interesting displays as well when people are only displaying all of one character but everything of that character instead of going wide it's going deep Mm -hmm. and i enjoyed seeing just the intensity of some of that yeah it was kind of fun to poke around and see all the different little things in there so then our next stop was at michael's house where he's got a lot of the early collectibles like newspaper articles magazine articles before Star Wars was released. Yeah, we couldn't take any photos there, so I'm sorry we're not able to share his collection. But we kind of talked to Matt and Martin about this. The thing we heard from so many collectors is they were working right up until like the time people came over getting their collections ready. And it motivated a lot of them to get their displays in order or organize a little bit better. And that was something Michael definitely had going on. But he had gorgeous glass display cases with mirrors on the back and opened my eyes to using them as partitions. I've been big about putting cabinets against the wall, but he had a nice open area. And then he used the backs of them to hang posters on and he'd have them face different directions. So you've got a poster and then a cabinet facing one way than the other and another really nice room layout. And something that I think I'm going to incorporate that he does little name cards next to items identifying. So like his art, be it a print or be it original, had a little placard like you see in a museum that has the name of the piece and the artist. And he didn't do that for everything, but for a lot of his items, especially the props and things to have that kind of information, I thought was really handy. Yeah, I thought that was really impressive and gave it like a museum-like quality. I kind of liked how he did the pictures, like hanging them from the little track that he had. But then I also think I could also use that space to hang more because you have a lot of art. So see, again, good tips we've picked up along the way. But when we're talking about focus collections, I don't know that any was 
as intense as Bill McBride, who has gotten quite a bit of fame for his Darth Vader-focused collection. To go into his house and in his main room there to have a pedestal with the gold vac-metalized Darth Vader vintage case that was never released. He has a prototype of it, and he had another Mm vac-metalized prototype upstairs. To see every variation of the Darth Vader vintage figure card back, to see all of the statues and food items. If it had Vader on it, he had it there. And even the full Darth Vader outfit that was used in Ted 2 to represent a cosplayer as Darth Vader. Yeah, that was kind of fun and impressive to see. I was kind of excited that the movie could have been better, Ted 2, but hey, you know. But the outfit was impeccable. It was. And again, great display with the way he tilted the figures so they were facing. You had a center point in his upstairs room where when you stood, you could just rotate and see pretty much all of his collection pointed at you that way. It was really nice, really impressive, very, very focused. Now, Sunday, they had some really cool events. They had the screening of Plastic Galaxy that Marjorie Jerry and I reviewed over at NowPlayingPodcast.com when that was a new release. And they had an original 35mm print of Star Wars that they were able to project and display on a theater screen. But honestly, a lot of us chose to do Plan B. There was another once-in-a-lifetime opportunity there. We were able to visit the Packard branch of the Library of Congress where they do all of their video and audio archiving. And that was just an incredible thing. And they had reels of Star Wars films, but it's mostly stuff from the 50s, early 60s and before, but so amazing. And I talk about displays and collecting to see what the government does to archive so much data and to store so many film reels and everything. I mean, truthfully, you just can't have a more impressive display than the Library of Congress. Well, their server room alone was pretty impressive, right? The fact that they let us in their server room was a little bit disturbing. Yeah, that was kind (laughs) of... And we got to go in the bunker where the president used to be able to go in case of nuclear war, which is where they do all of their cold storage. And I think I saw all the collector's wheels turning in their mind when they started talking about, you know, optimum temperatures to store things. And they kept certain rooms at 39 degrees with 30% humidity in order to be most kind to the nitrate film. It got a little chilly. It was hot outside. We were all in shorts, short sleeves. It was chilly in that yeah, bunker. Yeah, there were some cold rooms in there. And truthfully, the massiveness of this installation as it went into the mountain from the outside, it looked like a small building, but it made the room where at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, where they store the Ark, it made that feel small mm-hmm. because there was, what, half a mile or more corridor and off of that were deep rooms filled with reels and reels of film. Yep. It was impressive to say the least. And just the technology they used. They talked about creating a laser phonograph needle so that they could start archiving records or even parts of damaged records without ever having to touch a needle to them and cause further damage. They haven't got that perfected yet, but while the best part of this trip was seeing our friends, the second best had to be the Library of Congress. Yeah. And then they did show us, they took us into the theater, because it is open to the public, to the lobby, and they have a theater in there where you can 
watch old movies on weekends, and they showed us the very first piece of videotape ever digitized at that location of the Library of Congress. Turns out they're all a bunch of Star Wars fans, and they knew the first video they digitized. It was the holiday special. Yeah, that's the first time I've seen any part of the holiday special without VCR tracking lines. They took it from the original copy provided to them by CBS for copyright registration because the Library of Congress and copyright registration go hand in hand. So however good a copy you think your bootleg is, (laughs) it's not as good as this. And this still had wavy lines. It was still a 30-year-old. But it was better than what we've ever seen. Yeah. And to see it projected on a big screen in an actual theater, he only let it go through the credits. But yeah, it was kind of fun. And yet we kind of thought we were being Rickrolled too. Yes, true. Yeah, we did. Then that night we got to see Jonathan's collection. I really like his use of Ikea, the square cube. Yeah, he used the Besta shelves, which we have as well. But he had lined the walls with them pretty much floor to ceiling. Mm -hmm. And because they mount to the walls, you're able to do that and have good stability. And he had a lot of food items. So... He was able to really make use of all of those shelves. Every so often, I find myself frustrated by the Bestas because they just don't have the height for like a premium format figure or something. If you're getting much higher than a foot, it starts to get cramped. Yeah, they aren't good for everything, but they're good for a number of things. Yeah, but he had so many food items and trading cards and figures there that he was able to use the glass shelves in the middle. He had the lights installed on all of them. Again, because I collect different things, it's not ideal for me, but Mm -hmm. it gave me a great look at what it looks like when you have uniform shelving and neat displays with good lighting floor to ceiling. And then the next day, another great collection, Tom and what he called his fabulous Star Wars collection, where he had the most innovative dioramas I think I've ever seen. He put a lot of work into these and I think it showed and he curated his collection very nicely and I was really impressed with it. So we talked to him a little bit about his collection. Uh, My name is Tom Boone and this is Tom's fabulous Star Wars collection. Um, I've been collecting since 1978. I was about six years old in 78 and I've been collecting ever since. And what's really great about your collection is I I came down and it's really well laid out. Like you've put some amazing thought into this, like color coded. You've got like the hot stuff against a blue background. You've got the Bespin stuff, kind of like an orangey cloud color. And you know, the Death Star Imperial stuff is like a nice dark gray. It's how'd you come up with that? Well, it all really happened around January of this year. Before then, uh, and that was actually before this whole event was was organized. I must I must put that in there. Uh, prior to that, I just had white walls behind everything and white shelves, and uh, it came time, uh, and I had toys from all six movies set up in scenes on all these shelves. If you can kind of imagine that now, but it came time where I had to dust all these things, and as I started to realize, I have about 20 battle droids and 20 guns and 20 little uh, clear display stands. This is going to take me forever. And I wasn't that fond of The Force Awakens, and I'm not that fond of the Disney situation and how they they, uh, toss the EU. Uh, So I kind of had a moment where I had to say to myself, what is it that I really, really like? And I really like the original trilogy, of course, and I love the Clone Wars. That was something that uh, my daughter and I enjoyed together. So that inspired me to 
put away all the prequel stuff and focus in on the original trilogy and the Clone Wars. And one of the things that you mentioned it here that I really wanted to do was to paint the backdrops because I always felt the white was very bland. So the, the, the deep Macquarie blue, as I like to call it, was a big inspiration for this. And as I'm going around finding like one color for the wall and one color for the ground, um, I would find things like this textured paint for Tatooine that's like a sand that's built into the paint. And I just tried to pick colors that I thought were representative of each particular scene. So you've got the sand for Tatooine and the sort of washed out light blue that I think is, is less of a beachy blue than a, than a Tunisian blue. So what was more fun, deciding on like the different colors and the different textures and making that really pop? Or was it more fun to put the toys out? Uh, the most fun thing for me about it was to see everything in a much less cluttered way than it had been before. Prior to that, everything was really jammed into the shelves. And to be able to spread it all out um, and, and to really be able to see it, it's sort of like a, an old picture in a new frame. So, uh, yeah, I think that was the best part of it. But when it comes to laying out the toys, yeah, of course, laying out the toys is much better than all the work to, uh, to, to put up the shelves, yeah. <laughs> what do you find to be your biggest challenge when collecting? The biggest challenge for me is, is um, well, of course, the financial challenge is always is for all of us. But to make sure that I don't buy everything that, that sort of leaps into my view screen so to speak you know you could just go and buy so much stuff and of course working is much different than when I was you know uh, eight or nine and had no money so now I can pretty much buy if I wanted to anything I wanted so being selective is a really tough thing being trying to be selective picking the best pieces pieces that go with what I already have staying focused on completing certain things like the belt buckle collection for example you know making sure I get all the belt buckles before I start going off of some other tangent. No, that's a really unique focus. I don't think I've ever met a, like a completist belt buckle collector or a belt buckle collector now. No, I, I wouldn't say I'm a, a focused on it, but that was just something that happened. Again, you know, when you when you when you work at midnight, then I work midnights, and uh, and you get a little time on your hands, and you start f- yeah. trolling through eBay. You kind of get ideas, and one thing that I always loved were the br- brass belt buckles. So I, I said I, I want to at least get these first five brass belt buckles it's hard to say and uh so yeah so but i so when i get that so i get say the first four you know i don't want to just stop i'm so i really must get that last one and and that really is another problem of mine making sure i get it all complete i'm missing card number 30 of the empire strikes back idw set if anybody's listening and cares to send it my way <laughs> okay there we go kind of a yeah that, that happens sometimes because and I completely understand about starting something and then having to finish it. Yeah. Besides the belt buckles, is there anything that, you know, do you have a focus other than that? Or well, Like I said, again, that, that, yeah. I'm sort of using that as an example of, of it's, not, it's not complete. There, there's no judgment. It's okay. No, 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 I, but I, I want to make sure that, that we're labeling me properly. I, I'm not a completist. I'm more of a, um, uh, oh, no, not a curator, but just somebody that, that's uh, not anal retentive, but just somebody that's just must... I can't, I'm into the details, I can't finish until it's completed. I, I believe that is a completist. I, I think okay. that you're kind of um, skirting around that. But it, it's okay. Right. I mean, there, there's all weird things that, there's you know. There's help now, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, there's help. yeah, I mean, everyone's, you know, 12 backs is someone else's belt right. buckles. And, I, and, you know, when you get into that, so as you can see, most of my collection is loose. or All of it is loose, let's face it. Um, I love that original packaging. I mean, there's nothing better than the original packaging from 77 to 85 
particular, I would say even 84. I mean, even the power of the force starts going off. But those, those, those racetrack kind of uh, borders and everything are just the best. But um, you asked about some of my other uh, predilections and fetishes that I... <laughs> Uh, I get into and, and can't seem to let go of it. This past couple of years, it's been posters and finding all the posters that I really, really like um, and then getting them framed in such a way as to really uh, show them in the best you know, light possible. So um, I've gotten a number of one sheets in the past uh, two years or so that I'm really happy with and, and sort of mass market sheets, uh, posters. So, yeah, that's that's something that I've been... And your posters are impressive, too. I was admiring those as well. I mean, great use of space. Again, I think that's great. And I think as a collector, you can't not use available space. So what's your most favorite item in your collection? Hmm. Well, I know that's tough because when you, when you ask that, it's like, what's your favorite action figure? I could tell you that. What's your favorite poster? But the favorite overall, I, I, that's a tough one. So I'll just say this. Um, my first action figure that I really remember going to the store and asking my mom, will you please get this? And I don't recall if this was before or after that particular Christmas where I got my first Star Wars item. Um, in fact, it could have even been the same year. But the first carded figure I remember getting off the pegs was Boba Fett. And I don't know why, and I might be mis misremembering. So Boba Fett, for that reason, is, is a favorite of mine, not, not for all the other reasons you could love Boba yeah. Fett but that particular reason that it's three lines in the movie right but that particular <laughs> figure I think is just dynamite uh, my Savage Press poster over there it seems an unusual one because I do have many older many more rare and that sort of thing that has a very de deep uh, a very personal connection um, my daughter and I went to see that screening um, at, at this horrible movie theater in Chinatown and uh, it had I remember this it had an escalator that just seemed so engineeringly improbable I mean it was the most enormous escalator I've seen in my life and it seems supported by nothing but a hope and a prayer was it in DC it's in, in the district yeah we went to that theater yeah, it's okay. horrible isn't it it's yeah. terrifying it's, it's like well you haven't crossed the Bay Bridge yet so you got that going oh, for yay. you yay okay Fun so bridges. so uh, yeah so the Savage Press poster of course was given away that night mm -hmm. and but it was such a moment uh, for me to be able to take my daughter to a Star Wars movie um and to see it with her for the first time. I mean, this is something I'd never seen before either, right? And to sit there with her, and she was, when did that come out? 2010, maybe? So she was probably about eight or nine. And she was all into Clone Wars with me. And we sat, we stood in a line, of course, right? And, um, you know, uh, somebody had their R2 roaming around, and people were in costumes. So she kind of got to see, in a, in a small way, the kind of lunacy of all this. And... Uh, so to get in there and to watch this with the magics and the, the witches and, and the, you know, the, the, just all this, you know, uh, Ventress being kicked out, you know, I mean, it was just, I, I remember just sitting there next to, um, sitting next to her saying, hey, God, isn't this great? <laughs> and she looks over to me and she's like, yeah, you know, and I'm like, this, that was just, uh, to say magical, I mean, that sounds a little silly, but it was. It was just a wonderful moment. And that poster reminds me, that demonic head 
uh, reminds me of some, one of the most happy memories uh, of collecting with my daughter. Does she still like Star Wars? Yes, uh, she does, but she does not collect. No, ah. She's more into kind of video games now, and, and um, she went through a manga phase, and uh, she's a wonderful guitarist and violinist, wow. and she's, uh, she's a tremendous girl. Yeah. Yeah. But no, Star Wars is not the, uh, the, the, the main focus in her life. But it was a wonderful little period of about three and a half, four years. That's awesome. Yeah. So how much of this collection is yours from when you were a child and how much has been bought as an adult and replaced? Well, the vintage stuff, I would say the majority of the vintage stuff that you see here is from my childhood. Now, there are things like the Sandcrawler or the Sears Cantina set that I was not able to get. Obviously, I didn't get everything, you know. Um, uh, my parents were really good to me. And, and I'll tell you a funny story. So uh, Star Wars comes out and I really wanted the Death Star, whatever year that came out. And... Prior to Star Wars, I collected matchbox cars, and um, I would be able to go with my father to uh, in various, he would bring matchbox cars home to me, I'd get old matchbox cars at antique things. And the, so prior to Star Wars, it was all about matchbox cars. And the first Christmas, I, was start, I, really, I, I remember writing a letter to Santa Claus asking for all the cantina set and the Death Star. and. Uh, and uh, I went downstairs and there was a huge box on the floor and I saw that and I said oh my gosh so I'm looking at it, I'm going through all the little boxes first and then they're like all right now you can open the big one Tom and I said all right so I go over there and I'm like I'll bet you this is the Death Star I said this out loud I'll bet you this is the Death Star and I rip it open and it's a big matchbox car garage <laughs> I mean, it's very similar. Yeah, but it was all kind of like an elevated garage. You know, you can park your cars and you can roll them down a ramp. And then there was an elevator, you know. So it had all the same features, I suppose, as the uh, as the Death Star. But no, not the Death Star. So from that point on, I learned, you know, don't don't try to guess, you know. <laughs> but but I think that did tell them, all right, he's over the cars. <laughs> and it is just... There's so much down here from the plates to the books to the figures. How do you decide what to focus on? You said you're narrowing your focus, but... Well, uh, gosh, there are no hard and fast rules to this, of course. But I would say if I have one sort of rule or idea of how to do this at this point, I try to get... I'm working on getting things that I couldn't get when I was a kid. So uh, posters would be an example. Isn't that a very satisfying thing? Like the things you weren't allowed to get or you yeah. couldn't afford. Right. And then now you're an adult and you're like, I could buy this. Yeah, yeah totally. So, uh, you know, the, for the, uh, an example would be that flaccid lightsaber over there. You know, I mean, I never had one of those when I was a kid. Yeah. So I like, you know, that's one thing. Um, I like old fashioned kind of collectibles. So patches, pins, plates, right? Postcards. I like those kinds of things. Um, and again, when it, it comes back to sort of being a completist about things, I guess, to some degree, I don't want to get things that don't match what I already have. It has to kind of go with things, um, kind of hang together, and not just sort of be a random, you know, I don't, I don't know that roller skates, Ewok roller skates would be, you know, quite right in here. Right there in the corner, there's a perfect there's spot. A perfect spot for me. Yeah, it is true. <laughs> it's, and it's angled just so, yeah. But uh, ceramics are another thing. You know, I couldn't get those when I was a kid, so I've started to pick some of those up. And reaching a point now where I don't know how I'm going to get those salt and pepper shakers. <laughs> so when you look around, what's the one thing that just eats at you? Like, man, I wish I had this one thing because it would make this display. Yeah, it, well, it's not necessarily about making a display. 
my my biggest regret how about that i'll tell you my biggest collecting regret so when you're uh 12 and and 13 years old and and not very disciplined about such things uh if you get five dollars in your pocket or something you know it's you, you blow you know you burn it right through your pocket so uh the power of the force coins came out and you know there were some you know the ben kenobi coin or the boba fett coins like i have already got these figures i don't need to buy them again how can i get these coins so I actually sent uh, a letter to Hasbro asking them, how can I get a complete set of Power of the Force coins? And I got a letter back from Hasbro, a wonderful form letter wow. saying, all you need to do is send $29.95 to this address and we will send you a complete set of coins. And so I held on to that letter thinking, I'm going to get 30 bucks together. Yeah, well, you know how this ends, right? Yeah, yeah it just didn't happen. I don't, the, the, the letter has been lost to the sands of time, but uh, I didn't pick up a complete set of coins for 30 bucks when I was, you know. And what's the going rate on those now? Well, over 1,000. I, I did bid, uh, even, even as uh, early as maybe three or four years ago, I saw a set online mislabeled go for about $3,600. Okay, for a okay. complete set, which is incredible. Yeah. I only had 1200 to bid at the time, and, you know, so that's one of the things that just eats me up. If I could have gotten that for 30 bucks, boy, I would just be, I would feel like something. Well, Tom, thank you for sharing your collection with us. Thanks for talking to us. This is really great. Thank you for coming. Thanks, Tom, for having us in your home and sharing your collection. You know, I saw Matt's giant mid-floor diorama, and then I saw Tom's in-the-wall dioramas, and I just like, man... Now I don't know what to do with mine because they both looked so good. But the way he used the backdrops, the way he used different colors for different areas, and yet it didn't feel garish. He kept using tones like you would paint a room in, but it really accented each area. Yeah, and at first it was really subtle and you just, like your brain didn't register that it, that's what it was. And it took me a second to be like, oh, I get it now because it just, it was so subtle and went with everything so well. I think he did a really great job. And so did Bob, the gentleman whose collection we visited next. Now this, he is as focused, I think, as Bill was on Vader. Bob is focused on Jedi Luke, which makes me wonder if the two of them fight when we're not looking. <laughs> Again, this was someone who had almost every vintage release of Jedi Luke. We're talking foreign language. We're talking all the different card backs. We're talking modern. He had some prototypes there, but he also is a prop maker. He had a nice 3D printer. He was printing out some stuff. He made his own door handles, but he also built an R2 unit that has quite the story, and I'm so glad he joined us to talk about it. So we're here at the party the very last night of this event, and why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell them about your collection. Okay, I'm Bob Martinazzi. I'm a Luke Jedi focus collector, so I invited folks over to as part of the Kessel Run to look at my collection. Uh, mostly it's vintage, but I also collect anything with Luke Jedi on it, so i got a lot of party wear, tins, that kind of thing, along with all the carded vintage and even modern uh, carded figures. And you had some modern prototypes there too. Right, yes. I had a uh, Complete Galaxy, some modern prototypes with that, and also the Rancor and the uh, FX Luke. So, yeah, you had a number of Rancor items. Does Jedi Luke extend to Rancor? Are you also completest on all of Rancor? Uh, no, it's just he. I had him in a two-pack, uh, part of a uh, product sample. 
So then I started going down that rabbit hole, and I bought one other uh, first shot Rancor, and I stopped there, fortunately. So, <laughs> Why Luke Jedi? Um, well, back in uh, 1997, I was, had finished my vintage run of loose figures. I didn't want to get into that expensive hobby um, of vintage carded. So my friend suggested that I pick a focus. And we had gone and seen the Return of the Jedi Special Edition, and they gave us the Luke Jedi Theater Edition, and that's how it started. So, Does your Luke Jedi Theater Edition still have the glue? Yes, it does. And actually, people ask me about that today. For 15 years, it's been up on my wall, and it's still intact. So I'm a little concerned now somebody mentioned it, so maybe it'll fall off tomorrow. Yeah, mine is too, but so many have fallen off. And I think that's one that you're just... Uh, someday soon they'll all be repackaged re-glued your collection is so impressive because i mean to let the listeners know when you say you're luke jedi i mean you're every card variation of vintage luke and tri logo and all of that right i and that was part of the reason why i picked luke jedi i figured how many carded variations could there be he was late in the run he started on 65 back how many possibly? Five, ten? Well, right now I have 29, and I'm missing three. So there's at least 32 out there. Which one was hardest to get? Um, probably the little lady right now was the hardest to find, but the ones I'm missing are obviously the hardest. Right, right, of the ones you had. And in addition to that, you also do some creation. You have a 3D printer, and you had a Chewbacca's bowcaster out on display, and you did some lightsaber hilts. Yeah, that's my current hobby. I have a 3D printer. So what I did for door handles is I made replicas of the vintage lightsaber from Luke, the blue and the green. And I have those as my door handles going into my collection room. I also made the palace blaster. And then I made the Chewbacca uh, bowcaster, or laser rifle as they called it. Yeah, that is all really impressively detailed. Do you do all the 3D modeling then? No, actually a friend of that does the 3D modeling for me. He gives me the files and then I slice it. And divide it up so that it can be 3D printed and actually engineered and put together. And you also built an R2 unit. And this one has a particular, I guess, place in history. Uh, Yeah. So back in uh, 2013, I started, uh, always wanted to build an R2. Uh, One of my friends, it's actually the same friend that does the 3D modeling, had just finished his. He told me how much he had paid. He told me how much work was involved. And it actually was reasonable at that point because I saw them back at Celebration 2, wanted to build one, but they were always so cost prohibitive. Um, but So I went the styrene route, which is a little cheaper, and you can do a lot more of the labor yourself. And, and I also did 3D printed parts. So I was able to build it more affordably. And uh, I did that. It took me about eight months to finish them. And uh, it was great. And he's remote controlled? Yep, fully, fully remote controlled. I use PS3 Move uh, controllers, so they're nice and hidden. So I can hide in the crowd without people knowing. And what other features does he have? Um, Right now I upgraded him so all his dome panels open. So he can uh, sit there and play music and open different panels. Or I can just command a certain panel open to say, like, raise his hand or wave to people. So you were telling us a story, though, about your R2 unit and you getting into the White House. Right. And legally, I mean, invited. (laughs) Yeah, didn't have to jump the gate, thank goodness. So he... um, what I did was I had done an event for a friend at a middle school uh, for his son, a teach, parent-teacher conference uh, fundraiser, and he had seen that I had these small controllers. And so when Disney called the 501st looking for some stormtroopers to attend a premiere that Disney was having, he thought of me with my R2-D2. So that turned that premiere for Disney for Force Awakens turned into 
the Force Awakens premiere at the White House for the Gold Star families where a parent has lost a, uh, or a child has lost a parent in war, um, the Gold Star families. So it, it quickly morphed into that. Um, but then it became, we took over, we, when we got to the White House, we took over the Twitter feed of the First Lady. We were in the press briefing room. R2-D2 can be shown on, seen on YouTube, going into the West Wing, being saluted by the Marine. That was all my R2 and had that opportunity. Nice. And you met President Obama with this? Right. So part of the deal was for the Gold Star family. So all the kids came in to get their picture taken with R2-D2. Once we finished that, we were posing everybody for a picture. And... Uh, the next thing you know, they brought they, the Secret Service asked me to go into another room, so I did with the stormtroopers, and in walked the president and first lady. So, it how, was, how, how did you react at that moment? I mean, it's you know just unbelievable. I still get the chills from it. It, it just was so amazing. You know, here's the leader of the free world, and he just walked in. And the best part of it was, he came in just to say thank you to us, and he gave that you know for because of what we were doing for the the children next door. Um, that he personally came in to thank me and the two stormtroopers and the the Disney rep for coming to do that. That is incredible, and you got your picture taken with them. And did you have suspicions when they kept telling you to go to secret rooms that something might be up? Yeah, it was it was all pretty hush hush. Um, we originally thought it was just a screening uh, that the first lady was holding, so we thought maybe the first lady would walk in, um, say some words, and then walk out. And it turned out that it you know I had a personal audience with the president. Uh, I, Never would have thought that that happened. And you even, just to prepare for the eventuality, you had R2 programmed with some special features? Right. So uh, for sound effects, because it was an official Disney event, we usually only put on canon sounds for R2. But I took the chance and put on Hail to the Chief. And I looked for a, a march for the First Lady, and there was none. So her favorite song was Uptown Funk. It was on the Internet. So I put it on just out of the chance I would get to see them or be with them that I could play it. Um, and it turned out when the president walked in to see the families, they asked me to put on Hail to the Chief. And that was great because, you know, everybody knows that song. And then afterwards, after the families left, we were back in the room while they were waiting to get on the helicopter. So, and I put on Uptown Funk. And you can actually see the video uh, on her, I think it's her Twitter feed, where she looks at R2 and it's like, that's my favorite song. How did you know? And it was because I had done some research, put it on, and that made international news. I had some people here today from Australia said they saw it on TV there, and I know a friend in France mentioned it too. So pretty interesting that because I had done some research, I got to make international news. Wow. Now, outside of that, though, outside of your R2, how did it feel to be able to you know, create some magic in the lives of children who had lost their parents in combat? Yeah, and that's, that's to be honest with you, that's why I do R2, is to make kids smile. That's real. And a lot of adults smile. And I'm retired military, so being able to go do that event, for the, as soon as they asked me to go do it for the Gold Star Kids, I was going to do it. I took off work. I, I made sure R2 was ready to go. Um, that was really what it was about. Meeting the president was just a nice side note, but doing it for those kids, making them smile, you know, because they all did have a picture of their father that had passed away, making them smile just for that 10, 10 seconds, 20 minutes during The Force Awakens, you know, that was – that. You can't ask for more than that. No, that's amazing. So thank you for sharing your story with us and your collection. It was just great to be there and see and really nice display. Great. Well, thank you for stopping by. I'm glad I could show it. Thanks again, Bob, for having us in your house and talking to us about the R2 unit and your experience at the White House. And we can't go through every collection we saw, but it was just 
quite a thing. I know, Marjorie, you found some Jar Jar items you didn't know you needed. Yeah, I did see a few different pins and things like that. And the puppet, I need that Jar Jar puppet, Arnie. You know I need that. Noted. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah, now that you've seen the character focus collectors, like the Obi-Wan, the Jedi Luke, is that inspiring you to double down on your Jar Jar? I might be able to make a little Gungan section of the upstairs of my office, because there's not that many Jar Jar collectibles compared to like Jedi Luke or obviously Vader. But I think that I could have a nice little space in my office. Star Wars has never ended, but Jar Jar pretty much was canceled after three years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 99 to 02, you got some stuff there, and then it really started to dwindle. Yeah. It made me really energized to think about what I could display. Because honestly, we bought a house because we needed more display space. And then I got neurotic and felt like I didn't have enough display space. But seeing these collections, seeing the way they're able to display so much in a variety of spaces, whether they lived in a townhome or a really big house, they all were using space to its maximum effect. And I think they all also admitted they had boxes of stuff not on display. They were picking their items or rotating their items. Yeah, and I think that's just what you have to do unless you have unlimited space, which no one has. So we just kind of want to share that experience with you and come to SWActionNews.com. I took a lot of photos. I've got it organized by collection. I've also got a lot of photos from the Library of Congress that were just so fun to take. And hopefully you've enjoyed this look into the DC area Star Wars collectors and their displays and their passion for collecting Star Wars. But I think, Arnie, there's one more piece we have to mention about this event that we went to and all the different collectors we saw. And I, I think maybe the main thing every day. Yeah. I don't know if we were there for Star Wars or Swag Wars <laughs> because it gets competitive. Whether you're hosting or just going, everybody really brought their A-game for swag. And there was so much of it. There was. We had overloaded suitcases coming home. And fortunately, the curbside check-in guy looked the other way for a 20. Yes, he did. He was quite nice that way. But yeah, we ended up with like, you know, everyone who threw a party had some swags. We had Frisbees. We got a, a pint glass at each party we went to. We got coasters. We've got pins. More buttons than you can shake a stick at. We had lanyards with name tags, which was great for the collectors yeah. who didn't know you could talk to them. And it was so full of buttons that then another person had swag of extra lanyards just to put more buttons on. Yeah, it got crazy. It got, oh my God, just, I, I think it's just all about swag at this point. Did you have a favorite piece that we got? There was an enamel Jawa pin. You know, there were a lot of buttons and a lot of custom-made pins, but there was only the one enamel pin that was like a star tot or like one of those trade pins like they did at the celebrations, and it was a Jawa, and he was really adorable, and it just stood out because it was different than all the other pins and buttons we got. What about yours? Hmm. Other than my own, I think that I really liked a few of the pins. I thought some of the pins were great. Tom... From Seattle, he had macaroni pins. So you oh, take yeah. a piece of the macaroni and put it on the outside. It was awesome. But I, I think I have to 
give it to Jim from Seattle because he was giving out recipe cards from the holiday special <laughs> and and included the stir stir whip whip stir whip whatever that whole sequence was and that was it was kind of unique and fun and it's a real recipe that i guess you could try but there were you know the more i think about it i'm like no this is my favorite no this is my favorite because yeah that's the problem is it's all fantastic like there were political themed buttons like the red white and blue buttons that said i like ice with a little ribbon at the bottom which i thought was really clever and bob he created actual jedi luke puzzles like the old cardboard puzzles and it was a jedi luke figure with the dune c behind him and instead of return of the jedi up top in that same font and the same logo it's return of the ice so that was just incredibly creative i have to say i'm proud of what you did you inflicted jar jar upon everyone (laughs) i did didn't i tom beeland he's a Eisner-nominated artist and comic writer who we've been working on for the now-playing book, Underrated Movies We Recommend. And you had an idea for Jar Jar disrupting the areas we went to? I kind of did. And, you know, I, I think Tom is absolutely amazing because I drew some truly terrible representations of what I had in my mind. So like I had all these ideas, I had four ideas, actually I ended up with six ideas in my mind that I couldn't explain (laughs) verbally. So I drew Tom some pictures and he is such a kind soul. He did not once laugh at my art. I've had to do the same thing for the book a couple times. And yeah, there. what I give him is tragic and what he turns back is genius. And, and you know, I gave him like some vague, hey, I was thinking this, like one of them, they're all themed to the events or to the location. So that like the first one is Jar Jar on the Washington Monument, like King Kong was on the Empire State Building. And he's got a little TIE fighter chasing after him. Adorable as hell. It's just so cute. The second one, which... My drawing, it's pretty fantastic, I'm going to say, because he got it. I was thinking instead of the Lincoln Memorial, it's the Jar Jar Memorial. Very Tim Burton Planet of the Apes. It was, yes. Then for the third card, because we were in Virginia a lot, and their slogan for the state is Virginia is for lovers. And turns out it's not for lovers like lovers. It's just for people who love things. That's the whole marketing strategy from the 60s. So I've got Jar Jar with... A Virginia's for lover shirt on. He's got some pants on. He's got a musket from the Civil War, which I thought was like super cool <laughs> little touch to add. But then I think the final one might be one of my absolute favorites of the set because we're in Maryland. We're on Chesapeake Bay. And we, I was thinking, okay, I need something beachy. Okay, Maryland's got lighthouses. So I like drew a really awful picture of Jar Jar of the lighthouse kind of sitting on the beach. And Tom came back with Jar Jar in a boat, wearing a striped little sailor top, with his pelican friend sailing in front of a lighthouse. And it is adorable. I didn't plan on doing any swag. (laughs) I was just going to coattail off you. You had four cards. We're married. I thought that was enough. But International Collectors event, they call it ice. Kept thinking about it. And vanilla ice would get stuck in my head. I'd be like, oh, we're going to ice ice, baby. So it just got stuck there. And I'm like, well, I need to do something with it. So Justin, co-host of Marvelicious Toys and graphic designer extraordinaire. And genius all around. I kind of gave him my idea and he took a vintage Luke figure and put it on Vanilla Ice's To The Extreme album cover. And this was something that snowballed 
I thought I'd just give out trading cards of vanilla ice or postcards, maybe. And then I'm like, well, maybe I should do it like a CD case cover and we'll just do a square. And I'm like, well, you know what would make this really pop versus just giving people paper is if I put it in a CD case. So then I had Justin do the back and I came up with song titles based on the vanilla ice tracks there, like having a Roni for anyone who grew up in the 90s, <laughs> Rastaman and put them to the events of this. And so we had CD cases. And then I'm like, well, if I got a CD case. Maybe I'll put a CD in it. What's on the CD? I'm not saying. But I consider it like the lament configuration from Hellraiser. If you open it, the demons that erupt are your own. But without giving it away. It's a concept album. It is. Yeah, it's a concept album. Then I thought, well, okay, I'm giving these CDs out. I've got all these jewel cases. But they're going to scratch if I just leave them against each other. And this is why that you go to bed at 2 and 3 a.m. every night. <laughs> I just want to point that out. This is also why we had a sweatshop going in the hotel room, literally. Yeah, I was like, well, we should uh, shrink wrap these. And then just for the last touch, I decided to get those holographic dog bone stickers like they had on CDs in the 90s before they replaced them with the top stickers. And so we did all that. And of course... I thought it was ingenious to have it delivered to our hotel room in D.C. so that we didn't have to carry all of those CDs there. And UPS really, really hosed us on delivery. Screw you, UPS. Screw you. But we did end up handing out a good number of those CDs. And, you know, I thought it was just kind of a gag, but a lot of people really seemed to enjoy it. And I don't think they were just not hurting my feelings. I think people really kind of liked that as a different kind of swag they'd never seen before. Mm -hmm. So I'm happy people liked it, you know? It was a lot of fun. And thanks, Justin, for taking part. And for people who want to know what that looks like, well, it's this week's show cover art, too. <laughs> collecting to the extreme. And with that, we are going to take a deep breath as we prepare to collect to the extreme because we are about three weeks away from a massive massive toy release rogue one and i'm going to try to avoid the going rogue phrase that everybody is using and going overusing rogue. yeah we could just call it rouge i'm kind of liking that better let's go rouge moulin rouge no 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 one wants to do that yeah but bad song bad movie lady marmalade's a good song there's no arguing that so we'll be back a week from monday and until then may the pegs be stocked and the ice be with you Thank you for listening to Star Wars Action News. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can find pictures of the toys reviewed, chat with other Star Wars collectors, and find hundreds of Star Wars Action News episodes at our website, SWActionNews.com. This podcast is created by Star Wars fans showing their love of Star Wars. We rely on listener support to keep the show going. You can pledge to our Podbean fundraising campaign by going to SWActionNews.com support. Backers get rewards including exclusive video content, early show releases, and more. You can also help out our show by telling your friends to listen by posting on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or in person. We would also greatly appreciate a five-star review written on iTunes. A link to our iTunes feed is at SWActionNews.com. 
We want your feedback on Star Wars Action News. You can email us at show at SWActionNews.com or post your thoughts in the Star Wars Action News forums at SWActionNews.com, the most friendly forums on the web. You can also find Star Wars Action News on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. The links to our social media sites are at SWActionNews.com. You can also send us your latest store reports, figure reviews, and more. Email us an MP3 or iPhone voice memo at show at SWActionNews.com. All content received is subject for use on the show. If you also enjoy Marvel Comics, you can hear Arnie and Marjorie talk about the toys and statues based on Marvel Comics characters on the Marvelicious Toys podcast at MarveliciousToys.com. Star Wars Action News is always looking for new people to help with the show. You can find a list of skills we need on our blog at VenganzaMedia.com. Star Wars Action News is created, produced, edited, and hosted by Marjorie and Arnie. Video editing by Barrett, Andrew, and Daryl. Website design by Jason. Graphic design by Jay. Photo editing by Scott and Curtis. Announcements by Brock. Segments created by Andrew, Brock, Daryl, Jerry, Jonathan, Nathan, and Steve. For more Star Wars collecting, check out GalacticHunter.com, JediDefender.com, JediTempleArchives.com, and YakFace.com. And we thank those sites for their support of Star Wars Action News. Star Wars Action News is not affiliated with Lucasfilm Limited. Star Wars and all that the Star Wars universe contains is trademark and copyright Lucasfilm Limited, a subsidiary of the Walt Disney Company. All rights reserved. Star Wars Action News is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2016, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Star Wars Action News. Now this is podcasting. And he had a lot of Margaret. Blah. A lot of Margaret.